0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. Those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks will know that we're in a series uh, that we've entitled, God Never Said That. Uh, sometimes there's things that we attribute to God or we think, well, God said this or it's in the Bible. And so, you know, we, some of them are very harmless. We actually took a quiz last week and uh, you all did very well uh, as far as what, what actually was in the Bible and what isn't. And and sometimes what we think might be in the Bible or from God is really kind of harmless. You know, godliness is next to cleanliness. Uh, that's not a big deal if you believe that's in the Bible. I mean, it's not going to really alter your life in a bad way. Um, but there are some things that, that really could have harmful, or I'm say it this way, detrimental impact on your life if you actually take it to heart and live your life accordingly. And so in week one, we talked about this idea of that God always wants me to be happy. And it really actually sounds kind of harsh to even suggest that God doesn't want you happy. I mean, that sounds kind of mean, I mean, really, when you think about it. But it's not that he doesn't want people to be happy. It's that there's so many more important matters at stake. Happiness is just a temporary emotion. God's much more concerned about our long-term joy, and, and, but even beyond that, Spending eternity with him. It's the life in Christ that, that he's more concerned about in, in helping to fashion us into the image of Jesus Christ. Then last week we talked about this idea that as, as long as I believe in Jesus, I can do whatever I want. And somehow we've got this pass that allows us to, to do anything. And, and uh, we talked about then about the idea that salvation is not based solely on our belief. Remember, salvation is a gift of grace from God. Grace is the catalyst, but it's actually God's gift to us and that we're to be working out our salvation daily. Again, the idea of working out is not the sense of, you know, we got to find it again or whatever. It's just a sense of our growing to be Christ-like is a daily process. It's reflecting that process and it's something we're to work on daily. And and, uh, the idea of us treating salvation as just a one-time action is actually dishonoring to God. It's not reflective of this life and pursuit of Christ that he's called us to follow. So today, the deception we're going to look at is this. Everything you have in life is a result of believing in yourself and the conviction that anything is possible. I know if any of you have been to, to Walt Di- or to Disney World or Disneyland um, on the West Coast, but uh, the theme there is if you believe it, you can see it, or it can happen. And but the idea is that we can create, and, and it, it's all about us. <clears throat> today's topic, though, is actually a really big challenge for me. Uh, it's one of the other two. this one has been much harder to work through, um, simply because whereas the other two were really kind of blatant deceptions, and, and it's really easy to see the, the untruth in there. In today's topic, I think we're looking at, there's actually an element of truth. In this statement, in this deception, which actually makes it a little bit more insidious in its, its impact, um, and so we, we need to be careful about that. but to set it up, I've actually got a little video clip from, uh, for you to see. Uh, any of you who are rocky fans, you'll appreciate uh, this clip. Uh, so if uh, gentleman or lady
1: whoever Let hit: the tell button. You something you already know: The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. Now if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits. And not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always gonna love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son, you're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. Don't forget to visit your mother.
0: I don't know about Rocky movies, but it makes you, you just want to go out and just conquer the world. Um, it just, you know, you run through a wall, you just know that. It ain't about how hard you're hit. It's about how hard you can get it and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Wow. The last statement he said, though, was to his son, until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. Who doesn't resonate with that? We all do. There's something about that that gets the blood pumping and gets the energy and it's motivating. And it is very compelling. In fact, the motivation self-help field that's out there is a a billion-dollar-a-year industry. We all resonate with that. There's something about that that comes alive within us. (coughs) The fact is that confidence, courage, self-esteem, and the desire to make a difference, these are all very positive qualities and traits that a person should have. Not just could have, but should have. So what's the problem with believing in yourself? Well, the problem is this. More often than not, at the core of believing in ourselves is the desire to be in control of our lives. The deceptive part of this belief is the underlying assumption that we are the source of control in our lives. We remove God from the equation. In reality, the truth is this. You were made to trust someone else to be in control of your life. And that someone is God. As hard as we might try to prove otherwise, simply increasing self-reliance and increasing self-esteem doesn't work. Why? Because no matter how much we tell ourselves, I am the determiner of my own destiny. I am the captain of my ship. I can do anything I set my mind to. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. No matter how much we try to convince ourselves of these things are true, every day we have to get up and look at ourselves in the mirror. And we know deep in our own heart that it's not true. We know that we're lying to ourselves and we're deceiving ourselves. You, me, we, we are our own worst enemy. When we attempt to live life by believing only in ourselves, we've set ourselves up for fear, anxiety, and worry. When we attempt to be in control of our own life, it's not long until we are eventually knocked out by life's hardships. Some of the other reasons why falling into the deception of believing in yourself only is so dangerous. One of them is that it's an attempt to become your own God. I don't know if that's anything we do intentionally, but the temptation has been a challenge for all of humanity since the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve. We see that there's this desire, this deception. In Genesis 3, we see the story of Adam and Eve Excuse me. And they're in the garden of eating, and God has told them, you can eat anything you want. Anything you want in here you can eat except for, there's one little tree that's kind of in the middle, and you need to stay away from that one, and because you will die if that's the case. And we know in the story, a serpent comes to them and has this conversation, and he says, well, you don't know, die. But then he says this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good from evil. And you will be like God. What a really amazing statement. And again, I don't think it was anything overt and anything evil in their heart. I think it was just this, this sin nature, this something that was really appealing and intriguing about living life on your own terms. Living life the way you want to live it. You don't care what anyone else thinks. It's about what you think of what you want and what makes you happy and this desire was so strong that it caused Adam and Eve to choose the words of the serpent over the warning from God. Think about that. You are living and walking talking with God the creator of all of the universe. And you're willing to turn your back on that because of the power of this deception. And we know that story didn't end well. And we're still dealing with the implications in, of that today. Another reason why this deception is so dangerous is that it's an attempt to dismiss our need for God. <clears throat> Whether we intend to do so or not, when we try to live our own life on our own, we are saying that we do not need God. We can do it ourselves. We're good. And this was a constant problem for the Israelites in the Old Testament. And on your worship, God, there's a reference there to judges. But really, for the whole Old Testament, time and again, they turned their back on God. And they tried to live life on their own terms. In fact, I think you could sum up the entirety of the Old Testament with this. You can't live life on your own. No matter how hard you try, you can't do it. Now, remember at, at the very beginning, I said this was a little challenging because there's some truth in this, and there's a little bit more to it than we need to give some sense of balance, and this is one of those areas. So this is one of those points where we talk about an attempt to dismiss our need for God. <clears throat> Let me set up this way. Um, there was one time I was in a conversation with someone, and I was describing to them just some of the things I was dealing with, and, and some of the things I was struggling with, and... They made this comment to me: "You need to stop living in your own strength." Anyone ever said that to you? Or maybe you've said it to someone else. It sounded really serious. You know, and obviously it sounded kind of very spiritual, and, but I remember looking and I said, "What does that mean?" They couldn't really give me an answer. You know, which I thought was interesting because they're giving me this really profound advice, but they didn't even know what it meant. They were giving it to me. And so are you saying that I just need to sit back, do nothing and just say that God's going to take care of it for me? Or that, is that what you're saying? And because the implication of that is that, you know, to, to have any effort, it's to show lack of faith. That if I really trust God, I'll just sit back. And so likewise, if you're looking for a job, you know, if we're just going to rely on God and we're not going to do this on our own efforts. Well, I'm just going to sit back and God's going to bring the job to me. I wish. I mean, seriously, that would be really cool. But those of us who have gone through that and all that, no, that's not how it works. You've got to go out and look. You've got to talk to people. You've got to network. You've got to put in applications and go to interviews. And this idea that to be, to, to, um, to not to stop living in your own strength is not this idea that we need to just stop living and stop acting. Because the Bible certainly doesn't talk that way and there's, there's a whole lot more to it than that. And so I came to this conclusion. The Bible never criticizes effort. In fact, it actually ex- ex- extols that, and that's what we want. And if you don't eat, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat. Then there's a lot of things in there about effort. But what it does criticize often is the heart behind the effort. Are you doing this out of fear? Well, let's deal with that. Are you doing this out of selfish ambition? It's not the effort in and of itself; it's the heart behind it. So again, if you're looking for a job, and just for me, that's the one where I, a couple seasons of my life where. I've wrestled with this what does this mean to to be trusting God and how do I balance it the idea of trust and work and effort and so here's where I've come to I said for me I need to do everything I know to do you know I'm looking at all the websites I'm networking I'll meet with anybody anytime anywhere any place I just it's about trying to find that but I go to bed sleeping very peacefully every night Knowing that my future is in God's hands, so I'm doing everything I know to do, but I'm also saying this prayer: God, I've done all I know to do. If there's if there's something else I need to do or someone else I need to talk to, you need to let me know. For me, that is trusting God. Doesn't mean I don't put any effort. Doesn't mean I I don't need to do what I need to do. It's saying I'm going to do what I I'm going to do what I know to do, but. I'm also acknowledging my desperate need for God in this. So it's not an either-or proposition, it's a both-and. We also know that believing in yourself is also an attempt to take credit for God's work. In Daniel chapter 4, um, it's in your outline, I'm not going to read the verse, but Nebuchadnezzar is, is he's, he's the king over Babylon. He's just conquered Israel. I mean, no, in history, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, this is one of the major, major um, political movements or groups, I mean, the history. I mean, this was a big time period. And the Bible tells us that one night that he was walking off on his roof and looking over his realm and... Um, he made this quote, he made this statement, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? What's interesting though is what the Bible says that God heard this and punished Nebuchadnezzar. For the next seven years, he essentially went insane. He left, it he said that he lived like an animal. He ate grass, his beard grew, he, he didn't have a shelter, he lived in the wild, didn't cut his nails until he came to the point where he could once again recognize God. And then later on in that chapter, it says, after seven years, his sanity returned. And Nebuchadnezzar says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So note here, too, we need to actually put a little balance. Because the fact is, Nebuchadnezzar was involved in the building of a great kingdom. I mean, it wasn't like he just sat and it all kind of just grew around. I mean, he was involved in the process. Um, Have you ever heard, maybe you've observed, maybe, maybe you've expressed this, but someone has given someone a compliment. And they say, oh, that wasn't me, it was God. And it sounds, again, really spiritual. And and really, that's kind of false humility. Because it was them. And I understand understand what they're trying to do. They don't want to be prideful, and I get that. What Nebuchadnezzar did was boast. And he took credit for everything. That's really bad, and that's not good. and, And that's never something we want to do. But false humility isn't really a good response either. Because it's not being true. So how do we give proper credit where credit is due? For Nebuchadnezzar, he should have, as he's looking over the realm that evening, he should have had this response. God, thank you for giving me the opportunity and the skill to lead this nation. To accomplish all that I've accomplished, I am so very grateful. That would have been an appropriate response. Because it's it's, it's recognizing that he was in this position. He did put a lot of time and effort and everything into it but recognizing that God is the one who allowed it to happen in the first place. So for someone comes up to you and says, wow, that was really, really, really good. I really blessed me or whatever their their comment was. Our response would be something like, thank you. That was very kind of you to say that. Or thank you. That was really generous of you to, to think that and say that. And what a great compliment. And then stop talking. But as you turn and walk away, say to yourself, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for that opportunity. What a cool experience. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. So again, it's not denying that we have a role in what happens in our lives. So it's not, again, it's not that it's either words or it's both and. but we have to come to this place where we can be comfortable receiving a compliment, but then also recognizing that it's not about us. And that what keeps us from becoming prideful and arrogant and boastful is recognizing that Really, when I look in the mirror every day, there's no reason why this should be happening because I know my faults, I know my insecurities, I know my weaknesses and failures, but in spite of all that, God has allowed this to happen and for me to be part of this. And that's a really cool realization and a really great place to be. It's okay to recognize and appreciate your own achievements and abilities. Just remember who it was who gave you the opportunity the abilities in the first place. And the last reason why this deception is so dangerous is that believing in yourself is the opposite of what Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking. He says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Have you noticed a connection in the three deceptions that we've been looking at these last three weeks, those of you who have been here for all three weeks? Week one was God wants me to always be happy. Last week, as long as I believe in Jesus, I can do whatever I want. And this morning, the idea is that I control my own destiny. All of them are about me. They're attempts to make life about what I want it to be about. And Jesus says to us, no, listen, you got it all wrong. It's not about you, it's about me. And all the things that you want so badly, all the things that you're trying to, you're trying to get to, you're never going to find them on your own. You strive for circumstantial happiness when I can give you this deep abiding joy. You're blind to your own selfish ambition when I'm the one who can give you a life with purpose and meaning. You endlessly search for significance when all you need to do is trust me. The call to follow Jesus is so very contrary to all of human nature. It just is. The call to follow Jesus doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable in our natural human perspective But Paul picks up on this idea in all of his letters as he's writing to the New Testament church and he picks up on this paradox this paradox nature of the call to follow Jesus. In Corinthians he writes for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Basically, and I've heard this, is that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom what we think is up is down and what we think is down is up. And it really is, in many ways, counterintuitive and certainly countercultural. So you think you're strong enough to do it on your own? Well, Paul tells us a few other thoughts. To be strong, you must be weak. In his letter to the Christ followers in Corinth, Paul, he said he delighted in weaknesses He delighted in insults. He delighted in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. He said, for when I am weak, I am strong. Paul was not a masochist. He didn't like pain. He didn't like suffering, although he did endure a lot of it. He just realized that when he did not have power, when he felt powerless, he relied more heavily on God's activity in his life. He was more dependent upon God And that's a good thing. Paul also tells us that to gain, you must lose. In his letter to the church in Philippi, he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Here, too, Paul is speaking to the matter of priorities. <clears throat> when you are in control of your own life, you can never rest in your attempts to get ahead. If you're relying on yourself, you can do that. Some of you who own your own business know that. If you're not out, if you're not out constantly working on your... trying to get new clients, new business, it's just a matter of time until so you start to regress. Life is like that. If you think that you're in control of your life and that you're the one who's the ultimate source there's this pressure to ultimately be performing. There's a continual effort to attain status at work, to attain status in our communities, to find financial security, social prestige and power, and to hold on to what we've already got. I can't lose it. If you're in control, we're obsessed with these types of things. Some of the people will literally sell their soul to have that type of life. Paul's priorities were very, very different. To him, he was willing to let go of those things for the simple joy and greatness of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus was better than wealth. It was better than power. It was better than prestige. It was better than life itself. To Paul, it was everything. Lastly, Paul tells us, to live, you must die. The reference here is not literal. He's not encouraging anyone to commit suicide. He's telling us that we must die to ourselves, our internal natures, our internal desires and our impulses. And we have to remember that before he was the writer of the Gospels and before he was the Apostle Paul, Paul was a a very, very high-level Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee. He said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees on the hierarchy of the chain, he was was towards the top. He was preoccupied with status. He had prestige. He was accumulating power. He had it all. He was at the top of the ladder within Israelite society. He was there. He had it in his hands. And then he had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus. Those of you who know the story of his Damascus road travel and in that moment, everything changed. Why was Paul able to let go of all he had given life? To? I mean, he'd given his life to this pursuit. I mean, all of the, probably my guess is probably in his 40s. Maybe late 30s, early 40s. I mean, most of his adult life has been spent in this pursuit and instantly he was willing to give it up. What was it that happened? What was it about that? I just, I try to rationalize it, but here's what I, there's really, there's nothing except for the fact that he encountered a living God who is trustworthy in all things. So I have to ask the question this morning, are you trying to control your own life? And in so doing, do you find yourself trapped by discouragement, by fear, anxiety, worry? My encouragement to you this morning is to surrender that control to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting, he never gets stressed. He never says, holy smokes, what am I going to do now? Nothing surprises him. He's good with it when we're no longer trying to control the outcome of life's events and we're trusting God. It doesn't relinquish us. It doesn't doesn't mean that we don't have responsibilities within that. But man, we can sleep a whole lot better at night. Our relationships become better because we're not stressed. We treat people better. Our whole lives can change simply because we're not trying to be the ultimate authority in our life. So if you're struggling with something, you just need to surrender that, that would be my prayer for you. But here's the thing too that we need to realize that ultimately it all comes down to, have we truly surrendered our life to Jesus Christ? This isn't about being religious. It's not even going about going to church or knowing Bible lessons and Bible stories. It's have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus? It's not a cognitive, I believe in Jesus. No, but have you given your life to him? Have you made it your intent every day to follow Jesus. Again, we pursue Jesus not because he's elusive or not because we can't find him. Our pursuit of Jesus is simply because there's always more of him available to us than what we currently have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as uh, uh, we're wrapping up this series on uh, just some of the beliefs that are out there that can can hurt us and can cause us to lead lives and live our lives in ways that would be detrimental. Father, this morning, this one has been really in some ways challenging because there is a human element in this idea of control. <laughs> we can't just sit back in our easy chair and wait for everything to happen around us so That. Lord we need to live life and you've called us to be responsible and, and so we need to do those things but Father there's this inner desire to control it's this inner motivation and some of us really struggle with that I'm sure some of us really struggle with that in particular areas whether it's the area of finances maybe it's in relationships and our kids our parents it's we try to control them because we think we know best for the outcome Lord my prayer is that for those of us who might be struggling here this morning that uh, again that they would continue to work that out and what that means and be the best they can be in that area but Father internally they can find peace knowing that they're not responsible for the ultimate outcome they need to do their part but God it's yours and if they've fully given that to you if they fully surrendered that issue to you, they can be at peace and they can be at rest. And Father, my prayer is that if there's any here this morning who have not fully surrendered their life to you, that they would do that this morning. That we have to do that first. Before we can surrender the elements and the aspects of our life, we actually first need to surrender our life to you. So Holy Spirit, as you are speaking to us this morning my prayer is that there would be courage and boldness and honesty to acknowledge those things we might be holding on to and then the courage and boldness to uh, let them go and Father the ability to trust you and Father in turn may we find the freedom and the joy that we so desperately need with heads still bowed and and eyes still closed I'm going to ask if there's any of you who this morning just, you know, I'm really struggling with something today Sam, and I I would really appreciate your prayers. If you would either just look up at me or raise your hand, and thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. All right. May God's peace and freedom come to you right now in the name of Jesus. May you find freedom in him. If there's anyone here who would say, you know what, Sam, I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus, and I really want to do that. My whole life, I need to surrender. Any here this morning that would say, that's me. If you would let our eyes meet or raise your hand, I can see that or let me know. So, Father, you see us here this morning. Father, people who are not perfect. And, uh, but people who desperately want to follow you in ways that honor you Lord we can love Jesus we can be passionate about him but still struggle with life so Lord help us, help us this day And Father again I just pray for the, the ability to be honest with ourselves, to, the self-awareness to recognize those things that we're holding on to and then Father the courage and boldness to let go Lord give us that ability I pray